Welcome to episode 321 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Wednesday, March 16th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how to go on the basketball court today? Pretty good. I hit the game-winning shot. Uh, although, it. It, you know, it's a lesson to learn about clutch. If you watch that game and, and watch the last shot, you'd say, wow, Eno was awesome. <laughs> I went uh, one for six or seven from three today. Hey, man. So uh, uh, I made the last one count. Your sequencing and, work, uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and for the most part, I was happy about my work inside. So I um, uh, got a lot of – only got blocked once. I, I have this thing of tendency to play soft inside, softer than my size. And so today I was happy. I only got blocked once inside and made a bunch of layups. Start so. smashing some bodies down there. Just let them know that you're Skyhook's starting to work. Well, tonight I'm going to go uh, kick off the softball season, hopefully drop a little five for five. Make some Joey Votto-like picks at first. I even wore my pants tight in his honor. Don't worry. It definitely happens. You can follow us on Twitter, at Sporer, at Eno Saris, at Jason Collette. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes. We're cooking at four, five stars, excuse me. And we'd like to continue to do so. So please leave a comment. Let us know what you think about the show as well. Got some news to talk about. And then the uh, central focus of our of our show today, you know, it's going to be some hitters. Uh, good guys coming off of bad years. It's something that is, you know, it's kind of a popular phenomenon out there. I know Matthew Barry used to talk about it a lot and had an acronym for it, which I actually can't remember. Maybe it was just G-G-O-B-Y or something because that's good guys off bad years. But, uh, you know, get the guys who are proven uh, over their career uh, on some level but had a bad year. We're going to talk about a handful of hitters, kind of get gauge where you are on them as we, uh, you know, really kick into high gear for draft season. Obviously, we got some big stuff going on this weekend. The next couple weekends after that will be huge as well. So let's get it started. Let's uh, unfortunately start on a down note with some bummer news uh, about Lance McCullers. He's going to hit the disabled list to start the season and obviously, uh, on one level, you can kind of spin it and say, well, this might not be so bad because he was going to have a, a, an innings limit anyway for Lance McCullers, and this just kind of begins that. At the same time, you never really want uh, a guy to be hurt, so it, it's hard to feel good about a shoulder injury in particular, but uh, that's what's going to happen with McCullers. He's going to start the season on the DL. Where are you at with him right now? You know, Some people have asked me if it was a good thing. And I would say that it's never good to go on the DL. This is probably, that said, this is probably one of the more benign DL stints. It's a little bit about his ability to be ready for the season and about stretching out and just that he's a little bit behind guys. So it's kind of like staying behind or almost like being demoted to just to, to get work in the minor league games before you for, before you uh, start throwing the big league games. Mm-hmm. So. On some level, it's one of the more benign ones. Some people also said, you know, will it will he save bullets for the end of the season? Maybe in a redraft, it's uh, I would say like a maybe a zero, uh, you know, another up nor down sort of thing. In keeper leagues, though, it's definitely a down, no matter what you, however you look at it. And you know, from from the way that we've looked at injuries and stuff in the past, and that might be changing a little bit for me right now. But the way I've looked at it in the past. He throws really hard, and he throws lots of breaking balls. So, you know, on some level, he was a risk. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, hopefully everything comes out clean, and he's ready to go. 
um, I still love him as a player and as a pitcher. So yeah, I, re- I really like him too. For me, uh, the situation with McCullers was that the price was just getting a little bit too high, so I was already kind of backing away from him anyway because he does have an innings limit. I think I think that you're right that this isn't necessarily uh, a super panic move because it's convenient for the Astros because of that innings limit. It kind of builds in uh, some of the slowdown that they want because I do think that they want to have a, a situation where he is there for the late summer and early fall, especially if the Astros kind of have the season that they're hoping for. McCullers would be a huge part of that. But as the 36th pitcher off the board, with what we've seen from him to date, I really wasn't feeling it. Obviously, he'll go, he'll drop down now. I don't know how far though, because like you said, there's still. If you were already planning on an innings limit, the fact that he's maybe not starting the season uh, shouldn't change your outlook too much. Maybe in a head-to-head where you you know got to worry about the early wins, but even there, you, you're going to have him for the playoffs, or at least have a better chance of having him for the playoffs. Uh, so I don't know. Like you said, maybe it doesn't change much for McCullers, and in which case, I'm still not going to draft him. Let's talk about uh, – well, this is a quick thing because we're actually going to talk about Puig a little bit more. But we, we did learn today that Yasiel Puig is not going to have a suspension by the Major League Baseball with regards to the Miami bar fight that he had. And this probably doesn't – I don't think it's a huge shock because it was kind of lining up that way based on, on what was happening with the proceedings. But uh, it's official now. He's not going to face any sort of charges. Uh, were you concerned about that for Puig, a suspension? Honestly, I, it's one of those things that's a black box to me. I don't think that we know what is going on. I don't think we know how these things are going to be determined. It's a little bit of reading the tea leaves. And, uh, you know, once one of your guys gets in trouble like this, you're kind of on the edge of your seat waiting to see what happens. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the libertarian in me, and there is a little bit of libertarian in me, doesn't really like that we've taken this out of the hands of the legal system and uh, made, you know, these commissioners, uh, uh, you know, at the head of this of this process, and made them sort of a judge and executioner. However, at least it's not as bad as the NFL, where the guy basically has no uh, power balancing him. At least mm-hmm. the MLBPA is fairly strong. I'm sure that they were involved in the negotiations on a role Chapman Absolutely. and on the final number they came to. And so, at least the players have a strong advocate in their corner. And in this case, I don't think very many people know exactly what happened. And so I guess they probably just threw up their hands. I mean, the, the last news that we'd heard about it from, from the police situation, well, it first came out that he shoved his sister. But then I believe somebody from the police in Miami actually said that, no, the only physical contact was between Puig and the bouncer because – uh, whatever argument or whatever was going on between he and his sister caused the fight between he and Puig, uh, between Puig and the bouncer. And so then the report said that that's those were the only two that had a physical contact. So obviously we don't know for certain, but uh, nothing is going to come of it from a suspension standpoint. So if you were worried about that, uh, you, you can kind of move on from that. I certainly hope that he wasn't in a bar shoving his sister, but I, again, I guess we, we're never going to fully know. Uh, let's move on to Milwaukee. The The Brewers are not going to officially name a closer between Jeremy Jeffress uh, and Will Smith, and I guess Corey Knables in there, uh, before the season starts. So if you're, if you're looking for clarification on that, you're not going to get it. You're going to have to kind of take your gamble on who you think might win win the gig. And meanwhile, Jeremy Jeffress is kind of playing through a hamstring as well, so that certainly doesn't help him. But uh, wh- where do you stand on the Milwaukee closer role, and, and who would you be more likely to gamble on between those two? Or maybe three. Again, you might like Knable more. I know that uh, he definitely has some hype as well, but I think it's between Jefferson and Smith. 
Yeah, honestly, I somebody asked me this on Twitter today, and I just threw up my hands. I don't say it very often, but I said I have no idea. I have no idea, and the reason that I have no idea is that the markers that I normally use to decide this sort of thing are just totally split in half. Mm -hmm. I mean, one's a lefty, one's you know, basically Jeffers has going for him. I think velocity, uh, right-handedness, major ground ball. Huh? Major ground ball, right? Well, normally I look at velocity, strikeouts, and handedness, and then I'll look a little bit at service time. So, um, you know, and, and then roll, you know, roll is another one. So those are the five things. I think Jeffers has velocity. I don't think he has strikeout rate. Actually, I think Will Smith has that. Um, in terms of roll, I think they actually sort of split that. I think they've both gotten saves in the past. Mm-hmm. And Will Smith is closer to free agency but you could make uh, the argument. Yeah, I think that would be that would mean the argument was that Jeffers, I mean, Will, Will Smith is about as expensive as he's going to be. So you might as well just make him more expensive and keep Jeffers cheaper for longer. But Jeffers uh, is older too. But Jeffers is older and uh, doesn't quite own that strikeout edge. Honestly, I think with the type of position they are on the win curve, Jeffers's hamstring injury. And uh, the, the, the GM that they just hired, who's a you know, total numbers geek, and the fact that I just asked Adam Ottavino about this. And I said, do you think, you know, because I've had team officials tell me, no, 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 we don't monkey around with our closers. We don't tell them anything about uh, closing and, and arbitration and all that. But I don't know if I believe that because Sean Doolittle signs a six-year deal and like three days later, he's the closer. <laughs> yeah, well, in this case, though, I will say I, I, uh, Jefferson and Smith are actually dead even. They both have 2.1 years of service time, okay. uh, that right. are eligible next year, and then free agents in 2020. But then again, there is a two-year gap between them, or three-year gap in age well, between them. But Will Smith is also more expensive now. That's true, yes. So, you know, you could still play the game of keeping Jefferson cheaper, maybe. Uh, but... Um, you know, and Adam Ottavino said that he'd signed a deal. I didn't even realize this. He signed a deal that took him out of his arb years with maybe an option or something, and then suddenly he was the closer. So, I I think that they do play these games, and I think it's a slight edge to Will Smith as being the more expensive guy who's healthy now, and uh, and I think that 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 pushes Kniebel out of the picture for now because I think Kniebel is going to be their Ken Giles in two years or something. You yeah, know, I think okay. I think he's he's a good own in the kind of leagues where you can either use him for holds or keep, you know, ratios and keep him on a deep bench. That, that's a good place to own him. But a buck right and an now, NL only um, as your last yeah, pitcher. Yeah, you know, lottery ticket in case all the other guys go down or get traded, mm-hmm. which is totally possible. So uh, but for now I would give uh, Will Smith a slight edge. Okay. Both these guys are are I hope your last guy and really you know, maybe you could try and handcuff them and take them both in the, you know, t- like 18th and 19th rounds kind of deal where you, you just hope that you got one of them. You yeah, know? I'd, be, I'd be okay with that. If you if you didn't invest heavily in closers or even if you had one stud and then you got both of the guys with Jefferson and Will Smith, I, I'd totally be okay with that because there is a chance that whoever loses the job, again, if you're doing this in like an NL only or a deep mixer, you might actually be able to keep the loser of the battle on your roster as a as a very cheap uh, last pitcher. So, and it, even if you can, if you do it in like a twelve team league or something, you just cut the other guy, and at least you're guaranteed the Milwaukee saves, which obviously won't be that high because they're not going to be a good team. But uh, Will Smith has definitely shown the better skills, so I totally understand why you're leaning there. And they, again, throw in the hamstring with Jeffress, and that certainly doesn't help his case. 
One last bit of news here. It's actually more of kind of your your reaction to something. Uh, we saw a 10-strikeout effort from Juan Nicasio, and he's really turning some heads in Pittsburgh camp. Now, we're at a point with what they've done with reclamation projects that anybody with, you know, far less talent than what Nicasio has, because he actually <laughs> has some pretty good talent, uh, they turn our heads. So, of course, somebody who can throw the ball like he has in short spurts before is going to get some attention. It's just a handful of innings. I think it's 10 innings and 13 or 14 strikeouts or something like that. You know, we're not going to get locked in on the numbers, but the performance is drawing some eyes. Do you have any interest in Juan Nicasio as Ray Searage's latest sweet project of reclamation? I don't think so. The the I see enough in Ryan Vogel's song to be a fifth starter, and I see enough failings in Nicasio. He's he hasn't trusted his changeup in three years, so he's a four seam, two seam slider guy. There's very few guys like that. Now, could he? You know, try to do a Pineda. I think I would argue that even Pineda wasn't really Pineda, and still he started trusting that changeup more. So there's very few fastball slider guys that don't have a cutter or a curve or something, and I don't think he really has any of those things. So I think, you know, the thing, the most impressive thing, like we said, innings pitched. Those innings pitched mean they're still looking at him as a starter. Yeah, and and the, and the uh, Wizard could could pull some magic. I don't know if they've tried to work on the changeup with him. I, I only read a little bit. I haven't seen any of, of Nicasio's work so far. So if it is just the two pitches. Maybe a cutter. You know, yeah. you just need something to do against the lefties to keep him honest. So uh, I, I would say that, uh, that uh, I mean, NL only. I would say that I would rank him a couple spots below Ryan Vogelsong if that, if you want to rank. Yeah, I'm, I'm so not in on Vogelsong. But at the same time, I suppose you could go a couple spots ahead, but I wouldn't I would keep him tied to writing on vocal songs so you keep your expectations in check. You no, know? That, that, that's completely fair. That's completely fair. So, yeah, let's not get too crazy about it. We'll keep an eye on Nicasio. We'll keep updating if if he kind of keeps progressing like this and, and makes some noise. There's some arm talent there, but uh, let's let's not get too crazy over uh, what has been, again, 10 minor league innings. But he did strike out 10 of the 14 batters that he faced against the Orioles on Wednesday. All right, you know, now it's time to talk about some good guys off of bad years. And uh, just got to know if you're buying back in, where, where you kind of stand with these guys. They came in last year with big expectations, and they failed to meet them. Some of them have kind of the injury excuse that, yeah, it, it, it works as an excuse, but that means that they were injured. And we know that the the best indication of pre, uh, future injury is previous injury. So they're not shoe-ins to necessarily stay healthy. But it might be as easy as you say, yeah, they're going to stay healthy. I like them. Some of them had just performance meltdowns, too, like an Ian Desmond, who we'll get to. And so that one might actually be a trickier case than somebody who was injured, and you kind of point to it and say, yeah, the hamstring, and if it's if the hamstring's good, he's back. So let's start with the guy I talked about earlier, Yasiel Puig. Tough year last year. Didn't even uh, play anywhere near a full season. You know, battled some injuries. He was above average when he played, but he was not near the the Puig level that we'd come to expect, which was an elite level. So, um, you know, about half the season of work, 79 games, 11 homers, 38 ribbies, just three stolen bases, 255 average. You know, just a bunch of career lows across the board, whether you're talking rates or volume. Are you back in on Yasiel Puig this year? Yeah, I am. He's really fallen down, uh, pretty deep. I think I got him in the fifth round in 
tout, and that means I got him around 75. Yeah, and he was a second-round pick last year quite firmly. Yeah, so that uh, – I think that's – I mean, is that all I have to say? I, I, what, I, I would, what I would say – I mean, he, it's, it's hamstrings, right? So I don't think that that hurts. It was a little bit weird that it was hamstrings on both sides. But um, that, that suggests some sort of fitness situation. Uh, maybe he just got too big for himself and, you know, there's something going on there. There's, you know, rumors and, and such not, but, uh, I think with Puig, what I've seen that I like is that he recovered some of the exit velocity late last year. He's always hit the ball really hard. He's not an extreme pull guy at all in any way. And he's showed a couple different looks in terms of pull and, and oppo. I mean, he, he came up and everything was oppo, and, he, and the first home run he hit was to to right field, and he just showed everyone, yeah, you can pitch me on the outside, I'm going to take it that way. And then they started busting him on the inside, and yeah, he had a little bit of a trouble with that, and you know his power went down a little bit, but at the same time, he still hit 296 in the second year with really nice walk rates and really good command rates, uh, really good strikeout rates. So, you know, last year wasn't his best year, but with the hamstring injuries, I'm willing to give him a little bit on the Babbitt in terms of, you know, legging out some hits. And uh, I'm going to take the over on his projected homers, which are about 20. I just see a powerful swing that is going to lick, it was going to, is going to click at some point. It's going to lick too. <laughs> and, uh, but at 25, 26, he's right in that, in that peak power range. So I'm going to take the over on the sort of 20 home runs that are being projected. And uh, even if I take the under on the 10 stolen bases, I think between the two, you know, he's going to be the kind of guy who has a plus OBP, plus batting average, 25 homers, five plus steals, and, you know, whatever runs in RBI the team can give him. With that walk rate, he's going to be high up in that batting order. So I just see a, a really nice guy with really high upside and uh, kind of underrated by the, the, the injury stuff that happened last year that I think robbed him of effectiveness and playing time. And you're getting him now in the fifth round. There's not a lot of guys in the fifth round that have that much upside. There's not a lot of and, guys. And also that... have an established role. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like you can get guys that have upside, but you know, a guy who's going to play every time he's in there and has that upside. And and you're just not finding a lot of that in in those uh, like fourth to seventh rounds. Uh, the upside of somebody like a Puig. There's a handful of guys, but that's why so many pitchers go because the offensive options just aren't that great so i'm in on puig as well jason and i took him in labor i took him in my beat paul spore nfbc league so yeah i'm, I'm with you don't have to rehash everything you said the reasons are there it, it's kind of hard not to be excited about him after he was picked 24 last year and i understood why and now he's picked 83 i'll take that all day uh this next guy was going even higher than puig last year that's carlos gomez he was up as the seventh pick a bona fide first rounder after two amazing seasons in a row. And then, uh, you know, injuries really bit him. He got traded over to Houston. It wasn't great. Obviously, remember, he was supposed to be traded over to the Mets, and apparently they didn't like the medicals enough to take him. Houston said, okay. All in all, it just ended up being kind of a washout year. It only played 115 games, underwhelming numbers, uh, below average WRC plus for Carlos Gomez. It was just a tough year. And now he's also fallen down into that uh, a little bit higher than than Puig, but he's fallen down substantially as well. Again, from pick seven this year to fifty one. What what do you like? What do you like from Carlos Gomez in a full year with Houston? I just like him less than Puig, and it, it's sort of amazing to say that because Puig hasn't put together a season as good as Carlos Gomez has. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I, I saw you having a little discussion with Chris Liss about Kevin Gaussman and Julio Terran. Yes, a and, little discussion. <laughs> it was a pretty long one. Um, uh, you'd made a lot of good points that have nothing to do with this. I saw, I don't know if it was you or other people say that uh, Terran has better stuff on his resume than Gossman has ever had. That Yeah, that that's, that's, was the crux of it for me was that uh, Liss was saying that Terran, you know, it was first off he called him kind of mediocre. I'm like, I don't, I don't know that I look at 2013, 2014. And even though the ERA and FIP don't match up, I don't think it's mediocre. Meanwhile, what, what has Gossman done And this? Listen, I'm a Gossman backer. I think everybody listening knows that. So it was tough to kind of slam on a guy that I like, but realistically, I don't think the two are close at all. I, I would take well, to on several rounds before Gossman. Cause I, I, as much as I like Gossman, I'm it's, it's all unknown. Like he hasn't done anything in the majors right, to make right. us feel that good about making so, making him a permanent starter in your lineup. That doesn't that that's it's not analogous to the argument we're that, that we're having right now between or the discussion we're having about Gomez and Puig. It's not analogous. Oh, but you're saying it's similar because Gomez has the two stud years and Puig still doesn't really have a full on stud first round year. And yet. I take Puig. Well, and I I get it though. I think it is a stronger case to do the Puig over Gomez than it is for the Gaussman over Tehran. Because even though Gomez has had a better season than Puig has ever had, Gomez is now 30 and has been re- rejected by a team because of his medicals, never re- recovered his exit velocity last year, and just you know isn't a very refined player. He's he's kind of a physical player that I think has relied on tools a lot. That that that's and totally fair. If the tools are eroding, you know, five years older than Puig, you know, there's lots of players who have better, you know, better stats on their resume, you know, than any than than young guys out there, right? But you still you're trying you're trying to get the better years and and sell the worse years, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm a little worried that the hamstring hip stuff that's going on with Gomez is gonna is gonna keep him below 20 stolen bases again, and you know. I guess you could say, well, if he hits 15 to 20 homers and then steals 20 stolen bases, that's a 40 number, and you would need Puig to kind of do 30-10 to get there. However, you don't need Puig to do that because I think Puig's going to be a 280-290 hitter. And that can be a big advantage. Gomez is kind of a league average hitter in terms of batting average. I I, I don't see a reason to necessarily get all in on the over on 255. So... I see a 255, 15, 15 type of guy that has more upside than that. Obviously, if he's super healthy, but I'm not convinced he is. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but doctors have looked at him and said no thanks. So I think there's a little bit more there. There's a lot of smoke there for sure. And uh, we don't know how much fire there is. Maybe Houston said, sure, it's a problem, but we think we're going to get enough out of him in the next year and a half. Plus, we get Mike Fires, you know. Yeah, they did get Mike Fires. With him, yeah. and that's that's a we solid rotation piece. Yeah, we don't know exactly how the Mets value Wilmer Flores and all that. So, you know, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot going on there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so actually, I just got a funny uh, message. <laughs> I asked, uh, I asked uh, Ortiz, uh, Jose Ortiz, uh, Julio Ortiz, I think from the uh, from Houston, mm-hmm. the, the writer, uh, what Dan Straley was sitting today. And, uh, and uh, Dan Straley instant messaged me that much faster than last time. That's than, hilarious. 
this time last year. And he's already topped higher than he ever hit last year. So uh, that's news. <laughs> yeah, listen, Dan Straley was somebody who looked like he was on his way to you know becoming a solid like mid rotation guy and kind of fell apart. So that look at us, we can't, we can't, we can't stay away from talking. Can't pitching. <laughs> not talk pitching, no matter what. Carlos Gomez, we're done with you. No, listen, I, I, I get your points on Gomez for sure. I've still got him valued higher. Then Puig, um, I'm, but they're pretty close, right? Yeah, and I'm in, I'm, I'm in on both, and they are close. Uh, yeah, so, and, and the concerns so about Gomez are real. You, know, you get a couple rounds, or you get a couple picks, uh, and that makes it a more of a compelling argument for, for Puig. Maybe if they were both there on the board, and you know, I wasn't going to be around for another ten picks, I would take Gomez, maybe. But I, I, I just, uh, I'm a little more into Puig. There's someone yelling at their radio right now. It's fine. Uh, we we all are looking at this game differently, and I think you know what's interesting about the bold predictions because it's bold prediction seasons, mm-hmm. and I'm I've been getting yelled at about a Brandon Belt quote. Uh, Brandon Belt, you know, I said he'd be a top five first baseman. It's mostly because much of the reason he wasn't top six or seven last year was his team. Plus, I like from talking to him that I, I feel like he's starting to really get how to make adjustments on the fly and and do all things instead of, you know, he kind of was the kind of guy that just hit his head on on one thing over and over again. Um, so I see some growth mentally, and I, I see some potential there. But, you know, some of the, the arguments were, you know, were compelling. He's got a concussion issue. He's been around for a while. He hasn't really put it together any better than last year. Just as much uh, upside in the offense around him as deep, as downside. Denard Spawn may have been hurt today. Uh, you know, so if Hunter Pence is healthy. That's nice, but what if Matt Duffy regresses? There's a lot of things moving on there. But uh, when you know some of this stuff is that's why I really like Chris List as an analyst because some of this stuff really is just taking in all the information and making a decision. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's as much as much as people like to. You know, I think about this also in respect to the discussion about position scarcity. We have Mike Potthorzer in one corner and Rudy Gamble from Rasball and another, and they're talking very important things about fantasy baseball and about position scarcity and all that. I, I get that. But at this, I think one of the things that Rudy Gamble said was that I really resonated with me was, sure, there's a difference between the 15th shortstop and the 15th third baseman. However, that difference is smaller than a lot of people think and is probably within the error bands of projections. That makes Yeah, that makes sense. So we act like these projections are gospel, and we gotta we gotta just take this guy because he's projected to be better than this guy. But eh, I don't know about that. Listen, especially if you look at all the young shortstops coming to the league right now. If we're looking at last year, and then all of a sudden Ozzy Albies comes up, or you know who knows, or Orlando Arcia. I mean, I know some folks expect him to, but some folks probably don't even really have a firm grasp on who he is, and he could kind of be this year's Lindor, or I guess that's the easiest comp. Trevor Story yep. has a role to begin the season. So these guys, they could change the balance of power. We we had a, a time in this league when there was Nomar Garciaparra and, and Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter, and, and there Tejada. were so many shortstops, yep. you know? And they were hitting 30-30 and stuff. There was probably not that much resistance scarcity back then if you had a 30-30 shortstop. So, I, you know, some of this stuff, I, I, I we always kind of you can stay rooted in the numbers. I wouldn't take Steven Piscotti over Carlos Gomez. But, you know, the closer these things get, the more you can trust your gut and say, you know what, Yasiel Puig, fire under his ass, fire under the Dodgers' ass, you know, 
big behemoth guy, 25 years old. He's 25. 25. Gomez is 30. You know, 25. there's a big difference there. So no, I, I agree anyway. with you there. That, that was a rant. End rant. No, no, that, that's a good rant, and I totally agree with you. I try. I really don't stay married to projections at all. Like I'm, I'm, I'm out there with. I'm totally um, with what you're saying there, and with Chris on that method. And so you know, I guess. If I if I understand where he comes from on that method, I guess I maybe have to understand his his Gaussman over Tehran. But there is no argument for it. I, uh, okay, if it's a feel, that's fine. But there's no viable argument. Right. Like yeah. And for, for that particular argument, I would just say I would pass on Tehran and take Gaussman later because I see uh, Tehran not trusting his changeup as much, becoming a more predictable pitcher, yeah, losing gas. Torn him up. Whereas I see Gaussman on the way up, I see Gaussman finding a curveball. It's an 82 mile an hour curveball. That's a really wicked curveball. So, you know, you go with 80, an 82 mile an hour curveball that he just started throwing last year that does not get hit for home runs like a slider does. You add that to two changeups and better command of a rising fastball he started using for more pop ups. These are things that sort of trend him upwards. And honestly, trend analysis is really hard to do. And some people would roll their eyes at it. But at the same time, we're trying to get the better years and sell the worst years, like I said. So yeah, absolutely. And I uh, I love Gaussman. So again, I'm not. I don't want to make it sound like I'm out on him or anything like that. And when you're talking about the price matchup between the two, that's different as well. But right, right next to point, each other, I can see your point. Yeah, sure. Liss's point were, was straight up. Yeah, I said Gaussman straight up will be better than Tehran this year, and that's where we had probably the biggest of the disagreement. Uh, let's get back to some of these hitters here. Uh, Troy Tulowitzki, you know, probably no surprise that he's on this list. We know we know what happened. We know his whole story about injuries, but it's full year now in Toronto. He is out of Coors, and it, it's coming off of a tough year. He's going to be 31, so there's some factors working against him. But the price has come down finally. You know, after years of him being like a disappointment. Uh, against expectations, the price has finally started to inch downward. He's the 50th pick off the board on average, going as late as pick 74. Are you buying back in on on Troy Tulowitzki, a full year with Toronto, or no thanks? That's hard for me to say. I, I do see that shortstop's a little deeper than some people think, and I did put Tulowitzki on my target sheet for AL Labor. So I, there's some things I like. I think the lineup around him is going to conspire to give him great numbers. The new dirt on the infield could be useful. We've talked to here on this program about how much does Coors and how much does the altitude itself lead to more injuries because of recovery time, oxygen to the muscles, all sorts of stuff. So maybe he could actually be healthier outside of Coors. Uh, and still get a lot of lineup effects. You know, your your all of your numbers go up with people on base. That's the true you know lineup protection. It's not about who's behind him. It's about who's on base in front of him. So, uh, and you know, there's going to be guys on base in front of him, guys driving him in. So, I like him. And in certain leagues, there's going to be people who are just like, oh, I'm so out on him. And yeah. Why does anybody like him? And so, you know, I would just pay for like a 280 20 guy. Uh, and, and that's really good at at, at short. That the yeah. thing of it is, especially with Peralta gone. I mean, Peralta is like a like a perennial top four or five guy, and and nobody wanted to take him. He's in some ways like the new Peralta, which is weird. But that is weird to say. But the, he doesn't run. Tulowitzki doesn't run. But yeah. you know, it, it, as bad as last year was, he was close to a twenty dollar guy at shortstop. Seventeen and seventy with seventy seven runs, hit two eighty wasn't the end of the world i know it and wasn't you think, you think and you know he can do better than that, of course so. 
Of course. Yeah. That was le- he had a 100 WRC+. plus. Now, obviously, some of that is pulled down by being in Coors and putting up the numbers. But, yeah, yeah. I— I kind of like I kind of like Tulowitzki, except I, I love Bogart so much that since those two are close, I usually do bypass Tulowitzki and just take Bogarts around later. But well, uh, I've have, I have actually seen Tulo drop in in drafts and stuff. I, he's more even in the AL only. I think he was the third best shortstop that went so, behind uh, Correa and Bogarts. Yeah. Okay. Might have been four. See, if the price is dropping even further, then then I'm I'm even more interested because he was twenty two. You know, I went with Semyon for 15, but I was in on, on Tulowitzki until about 2021. So I, I was right there. 22 wouldn't have been such a stretch, but I, I just felt I, I knew Sem- I had Semyon on my target list. And I said, I'm going to throw Semyon next. And yeah, see and just see, see where that is. And you got him f- for 15, which I think is a fair price. Let's stick with another shortstop. He's not going to be playing there this year. But Ian Desmond uh, jumps over to Texas after a really tough year and probably a you know, tough year the calendar year really because even free agency didn't go as planned for, for uh, Ian Desmond only signs a one year deal with Texas one year, eight mil. They're going to put him in left field uh, primarily. We'll see, you know, if anything happens to Elvis Andrus, I would imagine that he would come in and, and be the shortstop. But as it stands right now, he's going to play the outfield even in his bad year. He did, he did rebound in the second half and looked a lot more like the Ian Desmond we'd gotten used to. But after three straight 2020 seasons, he was at 19 and 13 with a 233 average. And that batting average is the key because it's it's been sinking now the last three years, 292 to 280 to 255 to that 233. And he has the big strikeout rate to go with it, doesn't have much of a walk rate. So you're not surprised that the that the average is falling. But another a guy who hits the ball hard, does run and hit for power, going to be in a good lineup as well. I don't know. I can kind of, I can kind of feel a, an Ian Desmond rebound. What about you? Yeah, I think he already did rebound. I mean, you look at his exit velocity numbers. His best, all of his like uh, six of his seven best weeks were in the second half, and just in general, he was uh, maybe two ticks better in the second half. I, I'm not running numbers. I'm sort of just looking at the chart. And then you look at his BABIP in the second half: three forty nine versus two seventy nine in the first. You know, you don't want to bet on Babbitt. A lot of people consider that luck. But he, if he's hitting the ball harder, he's the kind of guy that sort of needs to Babbitt his way out of his strikeout rate. He's not, you know, and even to get walks, he's going to need to be, a, you know, a threatening guy that's that's got power. And, uh, you know, I think it was some health issues, um, some head issues, and uh, just a, basically a coming together of all the riskiest parts of his game in a bad way. And uh, I would never bet on this guy in, you know, long-term leagues. On Ian Desmond, yeah. We we own him in an OBP league, which is particularly bad. (laughs) But I I do believe in enough of a bounce back this year, especially on a make-good contract. He's going to stay out there on the field, and he's going to do his very best. Plus, it's a nice environment to be playing in, a nice lineup that they might even make better by getting another catcher is the rumor. They're going to be competitive. So I I think... um, this is a good. This is a good year to own Desmond, and next offseason is a good time to sell him. I, I I can totally see that for sure. Particularly in OBP leagues, like you said, you, you don't want him as much. Uh, former shortstop Hanley Ramirez, uh, outfield qualified, going to add first base qualification, which actually might help because if Hanley Ramirez hits like he can, his bat can play at first base, and it's not as deep as everyone thinks. It's star loaded at the front, but then it it, it can kind of jump off there uh, in leagues of a particular depth. 
What do you think of Hanley Ramirez this year? Can he bounce back? And the interesting part is he was actually great to start the season, and it really looks like running into the into the wall at Fenway sent his season into the tailspin because that's exactly when the numbers started to tank and they never rebounded last year. You know, he has more in common with Ian Desmond than people probably want to admit. I think he's a bit of a risky guy that, that relies on, on athleticism. However, better natural eye at the plate, I would say, and probably a better hit tool because he's always made better contact. So, you know, in those ways, he's a better bet than Desmond. However, he's also two years older, and his season last year, I would say, was, you know, worse, especially when compared to, you know, his overall um, uh, career work. So you're asking for more of a bounce back from Hanley than you are from Desmond, and he's two years older, so it's a, just a slight bit less likely. So I don't know. Obviously, the upside is higher. Uh, what are you seeing in costs when it comes to, to buying him? In, We're seeing in- Hanley go around pick 125 uh, in NFBC leagues. So, again, those are 15-team leagues. You're looking at around the ninth round, going as late as pick 200. I don't know but what Jeff that was. And then Desmond, got to go over to outfield. He's listed under outfielders even though he's qualified at short. And he's going pick 112. So they're pretty close to each oh, other. Oh, Desmond's going ahead of him. Yep. Mm, it's got to be that shortstop sense. eligibility that kind of is worth oh, right. that yeah, extra no, bound. Henley's no longer got that shortstop eligibility. I forgot about Correct. that. Correct. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. Is that well, worth a round to shallower, you? shallower the league, probably, the more you kind of want to try Hanley. Mm-hmm. And the deeper the league, the more you want Desmond. Okay. Because the deeper leagues, you can put Desmond at short, and the very least, he's just a guy you have at short that you know gets you some homers and stolen bases, and his OBP then gets compared to shortstops, whereas... This year, Hanley's an outfielder and, you know, less less exciting on, on all fronts. But, uh, yeah, if I told you I had a guy that's projected to hit 280 with 20 homers and, you know, 7 to 10 stolen bases, you would want in on that. So, Yeah, I would. And, and I do want in on Hanley because I, I'm just going to, you know, kind of generally assume that the shoulder's better than it was last year. We'll learn quickly if it's not, I imagine. But uh, coming in, looks like Hanley Ramirez is going to be healthy. And a healthy Hanley Ramirez... I think is a worthy gamble even at, at age 32. So um, I will jump in, especially cheaper than Desmond, but uh, I'm not running away from either. I actually like a lot of guys on this list, including this next guy, but I'm a sucker for this guy, so I freely admit that. Anthony Rendon, after his huge 2014, was getting pumped up by idiots like me saying, oh, maybe in the 15th pick of uh, first round, maybe you could just take him, take him in the first round. Good idea, Sporer. Um, did not pan out. He obviously had a terrible season. It was writing was on the wall early. He injured himself in spring training. That's what we always worry about with Anthony Rendon is injuries because his injury history really runs back to uh, Rice, where he went to college, and probably even before that. But I don't I don't know of any record of his high school injuries. But that kind of cost him. It pushed him down to the sixth pick when the Nats took him. He could have been a one-one really with the talent that he had. But the injuries have always been a concern, and he had injuries coming up through the minors, so it wasn't a huge surprise. But the talent is still pretty darn good. I really like him. I know he doesn't have one carrying thing. You know, he's not going to hit 35 homers. He's not going to steal 20 bases. 
But I actually think his hit tool is kind of the carrying tool because I do believe that in a in kind of a perfect world season, he could pretty easily hit 320. So I like Rendon still. Pick 71 this year, has the second, third eligibility, which gives you some nice flexibility in the draft because both of those positions can have some interesting quirks to them. I think third base dries up really quickly. Meanwhile, second base is, has some depth, but it, it's kind of bland depth. So if you want maybe a better uh, better upside, then you would look to somebody like a, a, an Anthony Rendon. But how do you feel about him for a bounce back at pick 71? You know, despite his injuries last year, he actually kept his exit velocity above league average in every week of the season. So and that was without you know, his base. Excuse me. <clears throat> yeah, because yeah. it, it was lower leg injuries, so you would think that maybe some of the power would be sapped. You know, and we've we've long talked about how projections can miss low on guys that played through injury, and obviously Rendon was, was suffering last year. So I would take I would take the over on all of his projected power numbers. I see him as a as a not a plus power guy, but a good power guy with that sort of plus uh, hit tool. So, you know, I I like in terms of projections, I will tend towards the fans on power, 283, 17 homers. That's a, that's a sort of pace because they want him in 625 plate appearances. I'm not willing to give him all that. But that means I'm taking more power than zips and steamer and depth charts on a rate basis. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that's what turns that 270 average that steamer and depth charts and zips have. That would turn that into 285 or so. So I'm going to give him 285, 15 to 16 homers. I don't know about those stone bases. Yeah, so I don't know he's either. Be careful with the legs. Yeah, if he's more. healthy. I think they will let him run because remember, coming up, we thought, no way Rendon's really ever going to run. He's too fragile. But I don't think that teams necessarily play it like that, where they label a guy fragile and they don't, you know, they kind of keep him in bubble wrapped. I think if he's healthy um, and they plan to run with Baker and, and David Lopes coaching first, then I think that, that Rendon's speed will return as well and they'll let him run. But if he's playing injured, that's a different story. No, I think that's a good point about the coaches. You do want to think about that. And also, uh, another thing to think about is that I think I would rather have an injury risk in some ways than a playing than a skills risk. Production risk, you know. I, I'll, I'll always say that I, I will bet on a skills profile with injury kind of being the missing piece way more than I'm willing to bet on somebody who hasn't shown skills that I'm kind of waiting on. Like think about Yasmani Tomas versus Anthony Rendon. They're not exactly parallel positional stuff, and but Yasmani Tomas, if you if you if you if you get him, you're betting on skills he hasn't shown ever. And you're hoping that his pedigree and stuff that scouts saw and all that, that that's going to come through at some point and he's going he's gonna to click. That's a reasonable stance to take. It's not what I'm going to take. With Rondon, you're just saying, you've already shown it, man. I'm just hoping that your legs stay in one piece for one year and you do it. And then on top of that, on top of that, it goes a little bit to the old Ron Chandler thing. If you've shown it once, you can own it again, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and then the second thing is our rosters themselves, the game itself, has a soft landing. You can put Rendon on the DL. Great point. That's you a know? great point. So you're not going to lose. You're not going to get a big, fat, stinking zero problem, probably. He's going to play some. Even last year, at some point, he was in your lineup getting what you know he had like an average half season it was a 97 wrc plus for 80 games decent runs in rbi decent runs at least in that lineup you know he hits near the top of the lineup has good obp so he gets decent runs so he gave you some value and you 
good hold on to him. You could even trade him for you know recovery value. Somebody says he's going to get better, and I'm going to get him for the stretch run, whatever. Uh, you still that guy still has value. Yes, Monte Tomas comes out and lays a big fat turd in the first <laughs> half. There's no place on a roster for him. Nobody's going to trade for him unless you're in a super deep fantasy league, a keeper league that someone's saying, oh, there's still a chance. And there's no place to put him except not on your roster. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, the bench maybe. But the bench, I would still say, is a, you know, the bench is a fixed, a fixed amount of spots, right? Yeah. There's th- spots, there's five spots, whatever it is, it's fixed. But the DL is kind of like this extra thing. It's like, oh, you can put someone there. Some it's, leagues it's even have unlimited. Yeah, yeah. And I, maybe I play in too many of those, but it's like, uh, you know, there is a lot of that going on, which is that... Um, but but even if you have a league where it's two or three, Rendon is a level of talent where he deserves one of those two or three spots unless you're just having a really tough year and you've already got your first three picks on the DL or something like that. But no, I think you're making a great point on why it's worth betting on the guy who has the skills but might get hurt versus the guy who might play all year but hasn't really shown the skills. So I'm, I'm with you on Rendon. I'm in on him. Uh, our next guy is a, a bit older, also has a, a profile where you can say, listen, look at the skills that he owns because he has shown them. Jacoby Ellsbury has shown plenty of fantasy greatness, I will even say, not just goodness, greatness. But he is 32. Um, you know, I don't want to say he's injury prone because he's had some interesting injuries that aren't necessarily like, well, your body's just breaking down. And, you know, he's played 501, 635, 633 plate appearances the last three years in his late 20s, early 30s. So if he were injury prone and just run down, I think those totals would be a lot lower. That said, last year was pretty tough for, for Jacoby Ellsbury. Only put up a 663 OPS, seven bombs. The 21 steals helped salvage something of a value, but it was a tough year one of the worst that we've seen out of him in a while. Are you betting on a 32-year-old Jacoby Ellsbury this year? There's there's nothing for me to hang my hat on. Uh, Remember when he hit 32 bombs? I know. It's amazing. When he had 20 uh, for his career? Let me see what the injuries were. Here, uh, uh, right knee sprain. That's not good to have the leg situation. Um, some, that's 2012. So I guess it was just pretty much right knee strain. But... Um, uh, on top of that, if you look at his exit velocity, he had like no games or weeks. He, oh, nope. That's, uh, that's Tulowitzki. He, oh, okay. Early in the season, he had one week where he had above average exit velocity. Ellsbury did? Yeah. And it was 92.4, which when you put it in the context of Tulowitzki, Hanley Ramirez even, Hanley Ramirez peaked really early on. Then he had that shoulder problem. He recovered a little bit, but then I think he had another issue or maybe the shoulder problem came back. But Hanley Ramirez is like a crazy up-down thing. And then Anthony Rendon is just either average or better just all the time. Just That's what I see. That looks like a really solid hit tool. You know what I mean? It's not streaky. It's mm-hmm. just like always average or better. You know, just the ball coming off real nice. And Ian Desmond is like sort of poopy in the first half and, and – and then just really sort of consistently above average in the second half. Ellsbury has one week where he's slightly above the line, and then everything else is just at the line or below. And then one week late in the year where he's kind of at the line. And then one week, really, uh, I guess that's just one game. <laughs> one game in October, I guess, where he had he averaged 50 miles an hour on exit velocity. 
he changes the whole graph. I, I have a graph of all the guys, and, and like I keep adding the players when we're looking at them, and the whole graph sort of like zip. They had to bring the barrier down. Yeah, because there's a 50 down there. <laughs> well, I'm interested to see if if this other the, our next guy, a catcher, ever got back on track at any point last year because he was a big power threat for two years running. That's Jan Gomes. Now, 2013 was more of a half year. It was only 88 games, but then he, he had the full year bust through in 2014, kind of backed that 2013 season with a 21 homer, 74 RBI, 278 average kind of season. Really big season behind the dish. Then last year, it was just tough. I think it was Rajay Davis who slid into him early in the season and kind of sent sent his whole year off the tracks. And uh, we only got 12 bombs out of Jan Gomes, 231 average, just a, his worst year as a major leaguer. I mean, I guess he was worse for 111 plate appearances um, at age 24 with the Blue Jays, but that's probably just being a rookie and sporadic playing time. This was a decline. It, it was really brutal. Walk rate that was already bad tanked even further. Strikeout rate, which was actually okay. It was, it was livable. Went to a really bad level from 23 to 27% strikeout rate for Jan Gomes. So the the catcher pool makes me really want to buy back in on him because it's Buster Posey or bust. Uh, but are you willing to? Because uh, I know he's with some other injury risk guys kind of in the middle of the pool. How do you feel about Jan Gomes this year? Yeah, I'm glad that I've sort of got this savant window open. I'm just plugging all these guys in because, you know, it's tempting, especially with isolated power, to look at a monthly split and say, eh, you know, whatever, a couple doubles when there were singles or whatever. But uh, And then you look at Jan Gomes' first half, ISO 109. Uh, second half, and I and that was driving his whole line because his OPS was 560. In the second half, he had a 194 ISO and a 725, uh, you know, OPS. You know, so he really, he, I think he did find something. I think he found some health. And if you go then and look back at at uh, his exit velocity, yeah, he went from average and below average early in the season to uh, he's a little bit more up and down than a lot. Then he's not necessarily the nice Rendon curve but he's a little bit like Desmond where uh game to game he started having some and week to week he started having some nice peaks that were uh, that were comfortably above and then really in September he turned it on and 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 had three consecutive weeks above average so okay, okay. Know, he, he he found some stuff I'm a little bit wary about him because he just I'm not sure where to hang my hat. It's not necessarily a hit tool because he's he's got the bad strikeout rates and the bad contact rates. It's, it doesn't it's walk power if it's you're going to go anywhere for golf. Power, really. For yeah, it's golf. just power. And then power from a catcher, if they only play uh, you know, 400 plate appearances or 500 plate appearances, they all turn into these 260-15 guys, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as I call them. And, and then they become really hard to sort of separate from each other, especially in, in mixers. But... Uh, you know, if I'm in a mix or one catcher league, he's absolutely in the mix. Yeah, if, if, if one catcher, I still I still got him in the mix, even in like a 12 team league. I, I think I can get him in my top 12 there. But you know, somebody like Yasmani Grandal is going after him, and I I prefer him. Uh, I prefer right. Grandal, I should say, not just him, because we're talking about two different guys. Yeah. You know, JT Realmuto is going before him, and I, I I get it because he's got that little speed component that no, is really I would intriguing. Take- but I take right. Gomes and Grandal ahead of Realmuto. Yeah. All right, we got one more guy, old guy, but it came off an amazing season last year, so the expectations were running high. I want to say that he might have even been a second-round pick last year, and injuries just crushed him. 
Now 37-year-old Victor Martinez is trying to come back again. The, the reports are that he's got his base under him again. You know, the the leg injury, the knee injuries that have just been plaguing him, both knees, I think, at this point, uh, multiple injuries. That's going to be the key, right? We just we're not going to know. Can he hold up all year? He's 37 years old. With a hamstring injury through the weekend. And then yeah, yesterday hurt his hamstring. That's right. So already it's already starting. And it makes it tough to buy back, except the point is, or, or the thing is with Victor Martinez, the price is so rock bottom that I don't even mind taking a flyer on him in a league or two. I, I do have him in one. I'm not going to load up on Victor Martinez because he's 37, but uh, I would want to get at least one share if you're a multi-leaguer. Where do you come out on, on DH only Victor Martinez? Let's see here. He played 10 games at first base. So some leagues he'll have qualification. If you're Yahoo, will have it, and if, if your home league just uses ten games, then you'll be good to go. But I, I play in a lot of twenty game leagues. Yeah, so that's the standard, and so for the most. You know, we, you know, we talked about how there's a little bit of arbitrage opportunity with these DH only guys. There's there's enough of them, and they're good enough across the board that there's something worth looking at there. I, I mean, like I said, the deeper the lead, the better he looks. And But I think in mixers, I would give him a shot. I actually have my home keeper league where it, it's starting to get a little bit deeper. But we've got, I think, maybe like 30 roster spots, but it's still a 12-teamer. Okay. In that league, Victor Martinez is on my bench. We've got two util slots. If he's good, if he's going good, you know, I've got David Wright on that bench too. It's like, you know, one of these guys is going to give me a plus util guy. Yeah, hopefully you can kind of put them, you know, match them up nicely where you're where they're kind one of passing the baton to each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. I mean, we don't want anybody to get injured, but these two have shaky health records that it's probably um, not close to a certainty that they'll each get a, a, 14, a 15 day stint on the DL, uh, Victor Martinez and David Wright. But if you can kind of work it, that, that could go really well. Um like I said, I've got some hope for Victor Martinez, but he is 37, so I get it. But your point about the DHs is something we've been talking about all winter. It, um, almost everyone's going to have one, you know, and and so um, there are so many good ones that are going to come out early in drafts or, or even early in auctions that you shouldn't be so afraid of it. And they're still going to go for a good price relative to where they should because everyone's afraid to fill up their utility. If you're that bad of a drafter that you got to have your utility open late because of some magical player that isn't going to fall to you that you think is, I think you just need to kind of get over it and put the quality player that you're going to get into the DH spot or into the utility spot early on because I just don't think there's going to be anything that's so much better that you have to have that flexibility. I just think it's way overrated to kind of keep that spot open in a draft. I think, yeah, I mean, most players, most teams have benches, and uh, you use them, like we said, to, to, to draft guys that are play in your weakest spots, right? Mm -hmm. So already your team is already going to be in flux. And, 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 and the thing of it is with your reserve guys, they all would fit in the utility. So anybody that you get in the reserve round, you can put right. in for Victor Martinez if anything happens to him. So, yeah, I just don't I don't get too crazy on keeping it open. You got Fielder, you got David Ortiz, you got Miguel Sano at least at the draft. Uh, he will be eligible very quickly into the season, but it still cuts that draft flexibility that everyone wants so badly. Uh, you got Evan Gaddis. I know he's hurt, so his price is going to go down. Uh, deeper leagues, you got Billy Butler. Kendris Morales is a really good one that I was forgetting. Um 
I think there's a couple other. Oh, Alex Rodriguez, of course. So, you know, there's a handful of guys that are really solid mixed leaguers. A, a good number of teams are going to have a util that are going that's going to get filled relatively early. So don't run away from those guys and certainly don't run away from them in auction because I always find that they go way too cheap in auction for the for the value that they get for the stat that they give you. That's right. All right, you know, well, that's going to wrap it up um, on our good guys off of bad years hitters edition. We will do a pitcher's edition at some point, but I feel like we've talked about a lot of them already, so I didn't try to include both at this point. Um, you mentioned your bold predictions. We're going to get into those and mine, which haven't gone up yet, uh, next week. We'll also talk about Tout Wars next week. Chances of a Sunday podcast this week are low because uh, I will still be in New York on Sunday. But Jason and I are going to try to come up with something in New York that we would have and maybe could put up as, as a, some sort of live podcast. So stay tuned for that. But if not, uh, then Eno and I will definitely be back early next week. And uh, always remember to raise your hand and uh, say, Chris Stops, if that's what you're doing on the court right then. I hope you had some Chris Stops drops today. <laughs> I can't think of a bad Thanks. basketball player that you could say. I, I was going to say, actually, Chris Young. <laughs> the pitcher. <laughs> you don't want to try to like jam and then miss and be like Anthony Bennett. Uh, that's not a good one. Former number one overall pick from like two years ago is already out of the league. That's the extent of my basketball knowledge. We got to go, you know. I'll talk to you in a couple days. Thanks for listening.